the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. Welcome in to the big shoe. Feels like Friday in my head, but it's not. It's Thursday. Kind of telling you the show's live today. 800 345 5639 to get your calls on the air. It's a call in show. It's April 29th. This is a show dedicated to getting you to retirement, blah, 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 blah. I say that every day, so I won't say it today. You know what the show's all about. Let's get straight into the contents of the day because there's a lot today. Yesterday, not so much. The day before, tons. It just depends on the day, right? So I get off the air yesterday and you know I'm going over to my tennis club and getting naked in the locker room and through CNBCI here, HP has bought Palm. I stopped and I thought, I was like, no one on Wall Street saw that one coming. Even though I've done a story on how HP missed the smartphone market. They totally missed it. We were thinking that an HTC, and when I say we... Stock options weren't weren't predicting this in any way, shape, or form. Now, again, Palm, we all remember them from the Palm Pilot, one of the very first tech gadgets that was kind of a must-have, a PDA, a personal digital assistant. Now, the Palm Trio was a great phone, but they just didn't have the budget that Apple did or Research in Motion. They were never able to form, factor, size it down into something slim and cool. Right now, if I were to put my phone next to any smartphone that's come out in the last year or two. And I've got a Palm 755. I'm kind of a, a throwback. My phone's three plus years old. I don't care. I'm cool with it. But it looks like a brick. So HP, Hewlett Packard says they're going to buy Palm yesterday. And getting into the fast growing smartphone industry. But also it's a kick in the, the doodads to Microsoft. Basically Microsoft Windows... For smartphones, it's just it's it's such a slow development and release time frame, and HP's missing out. So they finally said, you know, we can't take this anymore. We need our own operating system, and that's what they got. They spent a billion plus dollars. Now this is going to sound ridiculous to you, or maybe in my my most hated word number one, it's going to sound redonkulous to you. And what do I mean by that? One point two billion dollar deal, nothing but a thing. Ain't nothing but a thing for HP. If they miss on this deal, they'll write it all off, no problem. If they hit on this deal, it's a home run. It's an ambitious task. Obviously, it would have a huge payoff if it ultimately worked. Why? Technology has done something that's pretty cool in the last 10, 20 years. 20 years ago, you had Dell, you had Compaq, you had HP, you had companies that made computers. And then you had systems like 
EDS and Pro Systems and IBM who would take other people's computers and put them in businesses. They're called system integrators. And the system integrators started buying the computer makers. The computer makers started buying system integrators. And slowly but surely, for instance, when they found that they could, HP could put the computer in, they could sell software. They can, you know, say, let's do a service contract for 10 years. Next thing, they were like, well, we're using all the Cisco gear, network equipment gear. So they started buying the network equipment players. So it's, it's one-stop shopping is what's happening. And one area that's starting to consolidate into that one-stop technology shopping is smartphones. It's the fastest-growing segment of the mobile phone market. It's alluring because smartphones are expensive and thus profitable. Worldwide smartphone shipments are set to rise to 247 million units in 2010. That's up 36% from 182 million in 2009. Now, HP is a Palo Alto-based company, and I love California Peninsula companies. They bought a company called Compaq a couple years ago, and Compaq had a little handheld device called the iPack. And I don't even think anyone knows about it, to be quite honest with you. Its sales are less than one-tenth of one percent of the whole smartphone market. So HP has a product out there, just no one cares about it. So HP's handheld business, which includes smartphones and digital assistants, it fell about 56% to $25 million in the quarter that just ended. So they don't got product that anyone wants. Now, Palm, on the other hand, they made some deeper inroads. Palm is a Sunnyvale, California-based company. Its devices surged in popularity in the 1990s and early part of the 2000s. But in the last couple of years, it's been eclipsed by the BlackBerry. It's been eclipsed by the iPhone and phones supporting Google's new Android operating system. So Palm is losing share. They needed this deal. People were speculating that Palm would go bankrupt. That the stock would go to zero. Palm's share of the smartphone market is about 5.4% right now. But that's down from about 10% a year ago. Research in Motion, they're number one. They've got 42% of the market share. Now, when HP announced that they were buying Palm, Research in Motion stock got hit. The ecosystem changed yesterday. You can no longer be a standalone phone company. Research in Motion at some point in time will be a division of Microsoft, a division of IBM. It'll be a division of someone else. They won't be a standalone company. I don't think they've got the finances to go out and buy a big system integrator, but at some point in time, I think IBM would be a lovely and logical fit for research in motion. The ecology changed yesterday. You can no longer be just a phone company. There's not enough food in the ecology for you. Will HP hit a home run? Yes, no, maybe so. We don't really know. In the smartphone market. I will say another thought dawned on me yesterday. Radio Shack. They could be a big winner in this. The stock Radio Shack. And I know you're saying, what the heck are you talking about, Black? How does Radio Shack, that dumpy little retail store that no one really goes into, that has dumpy little product, the old Tandy company, the kind of ghetto computer, the Tandy. How can Radio Shack benefit from this? Well, one of the things that Apple has done incredibly well is the retail store. Incredibly well. One of the things Microsoft has started doing is the retail store that looks incredibly a lot like the Apple store. So at some point in time, HP or Microsoft or Apple or Best Buy is going to buy Radio Shack. There's no doubt about it in my head. Radio Shack, the stock, it, it, it standalone, it stinks. 
But think about this. If you were able to go to the Radio Shack and pick up the new Apple product or pick up the new HP Palm product, get a computer while you're there, get a, a, a slate. HP's got a, a tablet PC coming out later this year. Radio Shack's going to be in play. There's no doubt about it in my head and how this is all playing out. So HP's got thousands and thousands and thousands of salespeople. HP's worldwide. This was basically... They saved, they saved the butt. They saved the bacon of, of Palm. There's no doubt about it. The problem is the web operating system for Palm isn't so unique that developers are developing for it. So Apple's controlling them. Apple's still thumping them. I don't think in any way, shape, or form this will be a flop. No way this will be a flop. It may not work, but it's not going to be a flop. So analysts basically say long-term it makes strategic sense. Kaufman's coming out this morning saying long-term HP buying Palm makes strategic sense. It's a key piece of intellectual property having a web operating system. On the surface, it looks like HP probably overpaid a little bit for Palm. Now, very low risk over term. It costs basically one month of HP's cash flow, but they get 1,000 employees, which about 30% of them are ex-Apple employees who work over at Palm. So you get a really cool, hip, young bunch of employees. On top of it, you get John Rubenstein, who's a key executive who uh, basically didn't invent the iPod, but came up with the iPod form factor. He, he's considered a genius at, at this kind of stuff. So HP got some valuable assets there. And one of the things they're going to do is fire employees, and, and they'll get their billion dollars back out of this. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Research in motion. The new BlackBerry 6 operating system, it's good. It's really, really good. And the new BlackBerry is good as well. So I'm not quite ready to say that Research in Motion is a sell. I'm not there yet, but more and more so, it looks like the competition's beefing up against them. And it's tough to win that battle. I think Radio Shack's a winner here. I think Best Buy's a winner here. I think HP uh, basically pulled off a winning situation for themselves. I think Palm got saved from the fire. They were burning. They were frying. They were about to get scorched. And they got pulled out of it. So I, I think that's interesting. Now, who's a loser here? Believe it or not, longer term, I think Apple is. I know you're saying, no. You just said that, that BlackBerry's got 42% of the market. We know everyone loves the iPhone, the Jesus phone, so much that they're going to continue chomping, chomping, chomping market share. And Apple's got absolute, they've got the, the, the right product. Everyone wants it, whether it's the, the iPad or the iPod Touch or the iPhone or the iMacs. Everyone wants the, their gears. Longer term, and they do have a very defensible niche right now because they got so many freaking fracking applications. They got so many. Now, John Stewart skewered Apple. And when John Stewart skewers you, it's basically saying you have become the man because John Stewart fights the man. Apple used to be hip, Apple used to be the 1982 commercial. That, you know, they were the, they were artsy and now they're becoming the man they're starting to become the jerk so to speak long term i think a phone's just going to be a phone it becomes very commodity commoditized like if you were to put an iphone right next to heidi's phone and heidi doesn't have an iphone you almost can't tell the difference in the phones they're both flat they're both skinny they both got beautiful screens they're both touches so but you can't really tell the difference from the outside now in the inside apple's got more apps than her phone does 
Anyway, I think you get where I'm going at with this. I'm not ready to say Apple's a sell. I still think it goes to $1,000 a share. I'm not saying it's a sell in any way, shape, or form. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Is Palm dead? Or no, 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 no. Did HP do the right thing by buying Palm? Is this a threat to Apple? Is it a threat to Research in Motion BlackBerry? What do you think about this deal? Tech companies are becoming very, very big, and they're integrating little pieces of the puzzle, adding a little bells and whistles to their portfolio of product. Is this bad news for Cisco? They didn't get Palm. 800-345-5639. 800-345-5639. It's Rob at robblack.com. Coming up, is the economy better? Or is the economy actually worse than it was this time last year? You're listening to The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Call Rob now at 1-800-345-5639. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to a phone call right here, right now. Ryan in Palo Alto. Ryan? Hey, Rob. How you doing? Doing well. Good. So I got two different perspectives on this HP Palm uh, acquisition, and neither of them are really good. Um, but the first one sort of from a technology perspective, and, you know, everyone sort of pumped up Palm like the free was going to be the next coming, and you watch their stock go from, you know, a buck. I think they peaked out at 12 or 13 bucks. And then when it came out, you know, it only took them about a month, and they were already starting to put the discounts and throw all the things at it that made it look like the product wasn't being successful. So it seems like from a technology perspective, They've, showed, they've sort of shown their car, um, and the market hasn't really accepted it very well. And and, and that's sort of why you've seen sort of the price come down from, from where it was peaked at when they first talked about the pre to sort of where it was trading at before the HP acquisition. So I think from a technology perspective, you know, Palm has been sort of um, trailing for a long time since they lost, you know, sort of the, the, the – Jeff Hawking, Donna Dubinsky, Carl Townsend, sort of uh, brain trust that was the original Palm. So man, if I look at it from the other side as well, from a finance side, I mean, HP basically spent, if I remember, I'm, I don't remember the all exact numbers, but I think they got about $13.5 billion in cash and short-term assets, and they dumped, uh, you know, $1.2 into Palm. So, I mean, they essentially spent a, a 10% share, which is about, you know, probably, I don't know, 70, 80 cents a share worth of uh, a cash into these guys. And so I, I just, I mean, 70 cents is, is, a, is quite a bit when you consider home, you know, they lost, what, $700 million the last year. I mean, it's just, if you look at their last five years in terms of cash flow and EPS, I mean, they haven't had, they haven't had a positive EPS for, I don't know, nine quarters. It just, from a finance side, it doesn't seem to make Sounds like you work in the industry. You still with me, Ryan? Looks like we lost Ryan. Ryan, I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. And I hear everything you said, and I respect everything you said. HP spending about a billion dollars is a month of cash flow for them. And ultimately, they could write off this whole deal. Ultimately, they could write it all off. So if they're able to squeeze anything out of it, i.e. an operating system other than Windows, Windows is taking too long to update their, their software, and it's killing HP. 
They're falling further and further behind. HP doesn't have a, a store, an iTunes, and HP doesn't have the apps yet, nor does Palm. Palm has some of these components, but they're a mess. I think Mark Hurd over at HP has done a great job of getting cost out of everything that he can get cost out of. I think the corporate, the chief operating officer for HP has done a great job of integrating businesses into their business model. I think there's reason to believe that this isn't going to be a total disaster. I don't think it's a home run. But it's certainly accomplished getting them from one-tenth of one percent of the smartphone market to five percent overnight. And that's important. And, you know, can they throw it as a bell and whistle into product and relationships? Maybe. Again, I'm, I'm not, this isn't the most obvious tech merger of all time there where you go, aha, this is definitely going to work. Um, but I think if anyone were to be the right type of company to pull it off, it would be an HP. Let's go to Sergio in San Pablo. And what we were just talking about there was HP bought Palm. And how will HP change Palm to compete competitively with Apple and the iPhone and to compete with other players out there who've you know integrated phones into their business model? Sergio in San Pablo. Sergio, how are you? Hey, Rob. I'm doing good. Um, just have a question, uh, not regarding the, uh, the HP or the iPhone, uh, more regarding my 401k. Okay. Um, my question is, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties and uh, I only have about a hundred thousand in my 401k. I started a little bit late. Um, and at this point, uh, I have a Vanguard, uh, fund. And what I need to know is if, if it's, um, if it's smart to go with what their model on, on, you know, they're, they're, they have almost an automated model for the age and, and the risk level you should be taking. Yep. If that model should be something that, that could be pretty accurate as far as uh, uh, using that or, or getting a second opinion. I think you could start there, but I, I don't think any model is, is appropriate for all people because, I mean, all you got to do is go around the United States and you'll see that, you know, you're a 30-something. You, you've got a couple – you said $100,000. Uh, $100,000. You've done fantastic for your age. If you really? go to Iowa, you're like the king of Iowa. I mean, people there, they don't have that kind of money in their 401k at your age. So people differ from all around the world. I would take Vanguard's standard, you know, um, kickback risk pro- profile assessment of you, model portfolio that they kick out, and then look at it and say, you know, they say 18% Asia. I feel a little bit more bullish on Asia than they do. Um, I'm I'm comfortable with a little bit more risk into Asia. They say 52% American. You can look around and say, I think America's a little on the tired side. I think our consumers are overspent. And the go-go's of the 1990s and early 2000s where people were taking out home equity lines of credit and, and going on vacation and buying cars and upgrading their homes, um, th- that easy money's gone. So you may say, I want a little less America, a little more Asia. Um, a little bit, you believe more in commodities or you think inflation's coming along, so you want to change your portfolio a little bit. But I think they're great starting points um, as far as, you know, model portfolios go. There's another company called FinancialEngines.com, FinancialEngines.com, where you'll pay uh, for it, but they'll give you a, a much smarter model as far as where your portfolio should be. So thanks for the call, Sergio. 800-345-345. Five six three nine to get your calls on the air. It's eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in the air. Anyone who wants to call about HP, anyone who wants to talk about Apple, 
Bring it on. We'll bump you straight to the front of the line. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, I came across a statistic this morning that was a little bit unnerving. In large part, because when you look at it, you go, that doesn't sound very good. The headline was 49 out of 50 state economies are still underwater. Now, I think that's actually already a flawed statement. Underwater typically is used towards saying that you bought an asset at 100 and now it's only worth 80 if you were to sell it. So you'd be underwater on the investment. So I don't quite know if the story is going to be any good because right there it sounds like they've already made a mistake with just the word. So anyway, you read further into the story and you see 49 out of 50 states are still showing less economic activity than a year ago. Now, based on February 2010 coincident economic indicators. Now, ultimately, there's one state that's showing more economic growth on a year-over-year basis, and that's North Dakota. So I'm a little worried by this. You know, this this right there just makes me feel like, what are they talking about? So let's dig a little bit deeper. States like West Virginia, Maryland, Idaho, and Wyoming are all the worst off year-over-year. The 2010 economic activity remained... um, anywhere between 6 to 10% lower. Thus, their economy, as long with those other 45 states, are all underwater on an annual basis. Let's see. West Virginia, Maryland, Montana, and Delaware have seen their economic activity fall the most, given the, the, um, where they are on a year-over-year basis. So it was one of those stories that it doesn't really tell me much. It's a beautiful chart, and it's a beautiful story, but there wasn't enough... What do you mean economic activity? Is that manufacturing? Is that uh, receipt sales from tax collections? What What do you mean? So the story didn't really give me enough fact to really jump in on. Um, so I, I, I look at that story and I go, eh, I can't really use it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. You can always drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob. RobBlack.com. Let's see what else is going to. Oh, oh, Facebook. Facebook group page. I hate Rob Black. Facebook group page. I hate Rob Black. I'll probably be using some Facebook content today. Coming up after the break, we'll talk to Audrey. She's in Pleasanton. She wants to know about financial planning. What do you need to know about it? 800 345 5639 to get your calls in there. It's Rob Black Show, 9 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Sports cars and women are expensive. With Rob's help, you can afford them. You're listening to The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Rob Black Show. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to Lawrence. Lawrence is in Palo Alto, California. How are you, Lawrence? Good, Rob. How are you, man? Good. So we're talking today a lot about the whole HP buying Palm to try to compete with Apple on an operating system, or more important, Apple's iPad, trying to get an operating system that they can port into their Slate uh, personal right. computer later this year. Well, you know I'm a big Apple guy. Okay. And and. Bottom line is the thing that I think is the key thing that a lot of people are looking at is who who's going to buy these things in the future. I think you look at that. 
And I think they're looking at HP in the long run that they are going to somehow try to catch up with Apple. I think Apple's so far ahead in the race, and they're continuing coming up with new things, I think they're hard to catch up with. Uh, but the, the emotional issue that I see that's really important is what the young people want. And um, I teach young people. I teach uh, private lessons. And for years, that's what's gotten me sort of looking at Apple is every kid who comes into my little teaching studio, they get sucked into that computer, and they like to talk about Apple stuff. Yep. And I would argue that those kids all want Apple, and their younger brothers and sisters all want Apple. And I think that that whole mindset is kind of it's kind of a group mindset that they're into, like on all the the way they're growing up, like Facebook and all the other stuff. And they tend to herd together, and they're all collaborative. And they're, there's a, one kid I've got who doesn't like Apple, right? But he's the one kid. He's a weirdo. He's the weirdo. He's the renegade. He writes his own code. He wants to do it his way. Yeah. And that's how you've done your life, and that's how I've done my life. But I don't think we're the normal people. I think the normal, regular people are still going to buy Apple over this other stuff. I think what it's going to come down to, and I, I slightly disagree with you, because I remember being a teenager. Don't, don't you, Lawrence? Yeah, absolutely. I had to have, and I, I peed myself if I didn't get this. I would throw a fit. I had to have a Sony Walkman. I couldn't have the Kmart Walkman or Walk Dude. I couldn't have the Sears Walk Along Fella. I had to have the Sony Walkman. I had had to have. And now I don't give a crap about Sony. When I was buying TVs in my 20s, I had to have a Sony. I had to have a Sony. And now I don't give a crap about it. And I agree. I agree. I guess what I'm saying is, and by the way, I, I wasn't, I couldn't afford to get any of that. But one thing I could afford to get was a, a Beetle haircut. You know, you could, oh. I couldn't get the boots, but the, absolutely, it was a different haircut. You know, it was a razor cut in the back. Yeah. And, and bottom line is, uh, I came home, and the next day I had to go get a shave. But that's another story. <laughs> Dad wasn't um, too happy, huh? Yeah, Dad said, I don't think so. You know, the barber was, hey, try this. And all my friends did it, and it was like, I don't think so. But anyway, what I, I guess what I'm saying, though, is, is that Apple's continually coming up with the coolest stuff. You know, uh, and they, have, they have the coolest marketing. Yeah, but they're also and, turning into douches. Well, I don't disagree, but I think the kids, they don't care about douches. I mean, they're putting their whole lives out on the line. They're showing their fannies online. Yeah. So I think that we have no, you know, we had barriers. I had barriers at some point. You had barriers. I think a lot of those barriers are gone, and, and I don't think uh, they really care if they're douchebags. I think they just want the coolest, newest, hippest stuff. You know, uh, something that you just mentioned, the Beatles haircut. Uh-huh. John Lennon's handwritten lyrics for A Day in Life, they're going on auction. $700,000 for a piece of paper with the lyrics to A Day in Life as scrawled by him and some of the things that he crossed off on it. So, um, You're what, right. And, and, and that's the thing that you like to uh, sort of have in your portfolio at a certain point. And I absolutely agree. I'm a big Frank Zappa fan, and I've actually got some very rare Frank Zappa stuff. And I thought I had stuff that was, you know, bizarre. Who would even buy? And it turns out that's the stuff... I've gone online, and, and there's, like, companies who will come buy my stuff for five or six times what I paid for it ten years ago. Thanks for the call. So, consider the Beatles' most influential song, A Day in Life, was the first track on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. And some of the lyrics were just crazy, like, um, he blew his mind out in a car. And that referred to the accidental death of Tara Brown, the Guinness heir, and a close friend of Lennon and McCartney. 
And uh, another line was, I'd love to turn you on, was interpreted to, like, encourage drug use. That line actually got banned by the BBC. So sometimes uh, uh, your band's jotting down some notes. <laughs> Maybe you want to grab those notes because that original sheet of paper, $700,000. Whoa. Let's go to Audrey in Pleasanton. Audrey? Yeah, it's Andre. Hi, Rob. Oh, Andre. I'm sorry. That's all right. Hey, um, I had a, I guess, a quick question, but maybe it's more complicated uh, than that. Um, I've uh, listened to your show, and I've taken some of your advice. I've uh, opened uh, 529 plans, opened uh, Fidelio portfolio accounts. I've read a couple of Rick Edelman books, a couple of Jim Cramer books. Uh, so I'm uh, getting to know the financial industry a little bit, but I still feel that I'm very... Uh, you know, when it comes to this stuff, uh, under, uh, developed. And, uh, so my question to you is, you know, I have about, uh, hundred thousand dollars in portfolios and I have my wife and I have different four one Ks, four three Bs. And, uh, I feel like, you know, I might need a financial planner, somebody who could tell me that I need to be doing this. I need to be investing more into, you know, developing emerging markets, whether I need to get term life insurance or what basically I need. And I wanted to get your take on something like that. Do you usually see that they're a benefit to someone like me, or should I just continue doing homework on my own and doing these things on my own? I think until you get to about 300 to 400 K liquid, you should do it on your own. I think a lot of the advice that you can get, under that level is advice that you're going to be getting from people who aren't really good at what they do, and thus they go for the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Um, Ameriprise will work with you as a financial planner. I don't like Ameriprise's financial planning system. I hate it, in fact, and I think it, it hurts you. That book, The New Rules About Money by Edelman, it told you to get term life insurance and screw whole life and variable life. So you saw the advice. You just don't want to commit to it. Um, get some cojones, Andre. Get, get that term life insurance, 10 times your revenue minimum. Um, st- I, if you're looking for a system on more emerging markets or not, go to financialengines.com, financialengines.com, and you'll pay for a service there. But they'll tell you what to, what you know a good balancing on your portfolio should be or should not be. If you want to be a little more aggressive or a little bit more volatile or a little bit more conservative, they can kick out different portfolios for you. Um, and that's pretty much some non-biased advice. Yeah, I fear you working with a financial planner who's biased. Like Ameriprise is going to put you with a lot of Ameriprise products that make them the most money and not necessarily it's good for Andre. Um, sounds like you're doing good with the 529 plan. So it seems like you could take some of these steps confidently. Uh, you don't have to be perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. Um, every two weeks I put money into my 401k. I look at it every year. I go, huh. I accumulated more assets. I don't look at myself and go, oh, damn, I should have got more emerging markets because emerging markets were up this year. I look at it as, hey, I get 40 years to accumulate assets. So as long as I'm not missing those years, as long as I'm not forgetting about those years, as long as I'm maxing out those years, I feel pretty good at the end of the year. Um, But yeah, once you get it, if you want an hourly CFP, I mean, if you're totally like you pee your pants because the market goes up and you missed a move or you get all scared when the market goes down, you can go to Cheryl Garrett has got a, a good financial planning network of hourly planners. She's kind of a Midwest girl, you know, an aw shucks corn chucker um, type of woman, you know, wears blue jeans to business meetings. She's got a really, really, really good uh, business model for hourly CFPs. But again, I, I, I think the information is already out there for you. I would, t- oh, and for the record, uh, mentioning Jim Cramer. 
he is going to get you into a lot of trouble. He is part of the church that is working now uh, type of syndrome that's out there. So I would be very, very careful. He's very emotional. He changes his opinions on the fly. Um, he's not a proven stock picker. There's a monkey in Harvard who picks more stocks correctly each year than him. His picks in the New Yorker have uh, basically pulled in about 51% accuracy over time. So I'd be very, very careful, Andre. To get your calls in there, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Coming up, Apple's made another acquisition. I'll tell you about that. And IMAX is in business time news as well. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM is presented by eTaxRelief.com. It's like blowing 10 grand in Vegas on the first day and then making it all back and more on the second. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. I try to weave a little bit of the topical business stories with business news, with financial planning perspectives. I think this is a unique show. I don't think there's any other show out there that sounds like it and or has the, the content to back it up. Uh, I love radio. I grew up loving radio. I love sports on radio. I love radio for road trips. Radio is so important to me in many, many, many ways. And um, I hope I'm doing something good on this air. Um, I really do. Sometimes I get a little bit lost in it. You get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. A little later today, I'm going to have a PhD, Charles Whelan, on the show. Um, basically, uh, author of a book called Naked Economics, Undressing the Dismal Science, talking about the economy, talking about where we are. I think he's a really smart fellow, and I think you're going to like it, and I think you're going to get some insight into I get excited by business. I get excited by econ- economics. I get excited by GDP. Um, I love my job. I love that I get to read at the Financial Times, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post. I get to go to Bloomberg and Business Week. I, I, I love pulling this data together for you. I'm an ex-Wall Streeter. Um, I had an investment advisory firm that I sold to half of it, moved to the West Coast. So I'm still getting my feet very, very deep in this stuff. I, you know, I, I'm knee deep into it. I get you the content that I can because I think it's uh, critically important. Let's do some business time. Oh, yeah. It's business time. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. We have a website that's kind of supportive of this show. It's called talk910.com. I'm one of the radio show hosts there on that web page. And that song you just heard, uh, Business Time, it's a great song from the Flight of the Concords. And uh, the video we just posted on the web page, talk910.com. I think if you go to it and, and watch it, you'll, you'll, you'll dig the Flight of Concords a little bit more. You'll dig the song a little bit more. And uh, let's put it this way. It'll put a smile on your face today at work. You'll, you'll be the cool person at work today. So a little business, little business stories. Apple's acquired a company today called Siri. Now, again, I'm, I own shares of Apple. I, I shamelessly talk about it because I think everyone in our country is shamelessly enthralled with it. So 
Terms of the deal not disclosed. Neither Siri nor Apple would immediately have a request of comment on it. It's Now, what is Siri? It's a voice-activated app for the iPhone that acts like a personal assistant. So you can basically see Apple wants this app for themselves, and they want to build the technology out and put their muscle behind it. To use Siri, all you need to do is type or say a word into the iPhone. It's an app that you turn on. It's going to carry out the command or find answers to your question. If you want to find a romantic restaurant around San Francisco, you would say what you're looking for, and Siri would develop and deliver some potential solutions. Now, what's unique and innovative about it is rather than a simple search of the web for romantic dinner in San Francisco, the app uses an application programming interface from a slew of websites, including Twitter, Yelp, and others, to tap the appropriate sites. Now, in the case of romantic restaurants, it would acquire information from Yelp and other similar sites to find the best options. This is pretty cool. Apple's decision to acquire Siri is likely a response to Google's recent acquisition of a company called Aardvark, which is a service that answers users' questions by soliciting help from other people around the globe. Apple has yet to comment on the deal, so we don't really know. Now, regardless, the development of acquiring Siri is, again, showing Apple's willingness of late to invest in companies. For a long, 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 long time, Apple wasn't doing anything relevant. And now, suddenly, there is a mad rush. There is a gold rush mentality on the mobile market. So, aside from the Siri acquisition, Apple bought Quattro earlier this year for $275 million. Google's earlier acquisition of Quattro competitor AdMob was, you know, why Apple went out and did this mobile ad thing. They're talking Apple with Apple I ads. Now, I hate the fact that Apple's just adding a word letter I in front of things that they want to market now. They're saying the I ad could fetch 10 times the typical advertising rate because it's such a captive audience. 10 times. For, so, for instance, a commercial on this radio show, anywhere between $100 to $300 for a minute. They would be able to charge 10 times that because it's a captive audience and they're there. Anyway, I found that story just to be enthralled in, in kind of a cool little business story out there. Other business story today is IMAX. Um, they beat, they thumped earnings expectations. Consensus revenues rose 120% year over year. 2010's off to a great start. Positive momentum. Very strong film slate for 2010. Yesterday's film deal inked with Warner Brothers and new theater announcements. We all saw Avatar. I mean, every person with a pulse saw Avatar. If you haven't seen Avatar, there's a good chance you're dead. Or there's something wrong with you. Now, IMAX is getting hit a little bit today. It's gone from 20 bucks a share to a buck. I started talking about it last March when I came on the, the Clear Channel Airwaves because I don't really like movie theaters anymore. It needs to be something a little bit extra. I don't want to sit next to you. I don't want to hear you chomp your popcorn. I don't want to hear you fight with your spouse during the movie. I don't want you to go to talk to the movie screen. People who talk to movie screens piss me off. Unless it's a horror movie and you're in an urban area. Because then that's kind of funny when people go, uh-oh, watch out. Jason's behind you. Um, because then there's a little bit of humor there. But again, oh, I hate movie theaters. So the IMAX thing, it kind of gets me going again. Because, you know, a movie theater is a big screen. Now i got a big screen in my TV now, in my house now. So it, it's it's similar to me in my mind. But IMAX is a gigantic screen. And it's gigantic sound. And it's a gigantic lens. And I really like what IMAX is doing. And they're helping us as Americans go back to the movie theater. 
They're giving us some unique perspective. I don't, I'm not big into the 3D. I'm going to be honest with you. I find it distracting. I find it annoying. But the big old movie theater with a big old theater type of seating now, I'm digging it. And, you know, I was a kid who grew up with movies. I loved going to the movie theater. I mean, it was magical. So IMAX to me is, is, is putting some new vision into what I would refer to as monster vision. And operators pay maintenance and royalty fees to IMAX. And they're buying a lot of their equipment right now. The IMAX dome and the IMAX 3D screens reaching heights of up to 80 feet. They produce special format films um, for the industry as well. So I'm kind of a big fan. I'm kind of a big fan. Now, again, I also like Dolby. I know Americans are going to continue to go to movies. I know that movie theaters have to offer us something a little bit more unique other than the movie, other than a big screen. We need a gigantic screen to to really be impressed in this day and age. To get your calls in there, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. There's a couple more business stories that are out there today. ExxonMobil. Now, I think many Americans make investing way too difficult. Way too difficult. Do you believe in a global economy? Raise your hand. Do you believe that there's an economy on a global level? Raise your hand. Go ahead. I'm waiting. Okay, okay. So you raise your hand. So you believe that. You don't really think that we live in a time-space warp conundrum or something like that. If you believe in a global economy, you got to love ExxonMobil. Or you got to like Petrobras. Or you got to like Total. Now, last year when the dollar was weak and the euro was strong, I said go with Total or Petrobras. Now that the dollar is getting some strength... And the euro looks weak because of Greece, because of Spain, because of Portugal, because the European Union might fracture. I don't like them anymore. I've changed my mind. That's the beauty about me. I'm allowed to. I like ExxonMobil so much more. So profit jumped at ExxonMobil to 38% year over year. This marks the first year over year increase since it posted record $14.8 billion in the third quarter of 2008. Hold on. Let me just stop there for a second. When you invest in a company, you're basically buying a person. It's it's a tough way of looking at it, but maybe you look at it like a baseball team. You have to have a pitcher like the freak Tim Lincecum. You have to have a first baseman who can hit home runs because there's not a lot of defense needed to play first. Got to have a third baseman who can get on base or hit some home runs. Your your defensive talent comes at second base and shortstop. So maybe your defense on your portfolio would be a utility stock or an energy company like ExxonMobil. And then that allows you to get something sexier, kind of like, you know, a Tim Lincecum Apple stock. So you have to build a team. You can't have all power hitters. You can't have all tech. You can't have all safety. You have to build a team. Now, ExxonMobil, at one point in time, had a profit of $14.8 billion in a 90-day period. That's stunning. That's like striking out 148 people in 10 games. Like, holy mackerel. That's a stunning period. Now, this quarter, they only made $6.3 billion in the last 90 days. Well, that doesn't sound too shabby, huh? So their profit relied heavily on exploration and production of oil and gas. The big problem that they have is the refineries in the United States. That's their biggest drag and their biggest concern. But I like ExxonMobil. Would I have it in my portfolio? I absolutely, positively would. And you know what I'd do? I'd be knocking boots with my, my loved one this weekend. You know what else I'd do? I'd be going to the beach. I don't have to think too much about owning an ExxonMobil. I don't have to worry. Do they have the the next new hot product that everyone wants? 
Does that make? I, I think that makes sense. I, I hope it makes sense. Now, there's another company that I've talked about in the past that I'm excited by. And I don't own any shares. And I remember someone called in about a couple weeks ago. And I said, make sure you protect it. Um, it's Green Mountain Coffee. Green Mountain Coffee has gone too far too fast. And I did a little story that basically companies go from hyper growth to growth. And this is a company that kind of went from hyper growth to growth. And if you take a look at the last two years, this has gone, gone from basically $16 a share to $100 a share. And I said, protect it. Anyone who's owned the stock in the last couple of years has done nothing but make tons of money. Now, Green Mountain Coffee offers 200 varieties of coffee, cocoa, and tea. They sell wholesale customers. They sell into McDonald's. They sell index on mobiles. They sell under the Newman's Own Organics brand. They have a namesake, Green Mountain Coffee. They've got the Tolly's label as well. But they, they do that Keurig single cup coffee, which I absolutely love. A friend of mine just opened a business. I'm going to buy him a, a Keurig K-cup coffee machine. And then he's going to go and get K-cups. Instead of going to Starbucks and paying 4 or $5 for a fresh hot brewed cup of coffee, you pay 25 cents. It's pretty good. It's pretty cheap. It's, it's the right price. McDonald's is using the product across the nation, across the world. You, you know McDonald's is taking some market share away from Starbucks on this. It's good coffee, and it's fresh, and it's brought, and it's brewed. Now, here's the problem. They, they're not turning hay into gold. They're not curing cancer. So at some point in time, it becomes too expensive. We had a lady who called, and I said, protect it. Protect the downside on the company. You've had such big profits. You know, continue to hold it, but start putting some stop losses behind it because you don't want to lose that. It's trading at 26 times next year's earnings. I'm going to be honest with you. That's pricey. Their quarter was good, but it showed it, it wasn't up 150% like previous quarters. I think this year is going to be a big year. Again, more and more people are starting to say, hey, have you, have you heard about that Cure K-Cup thing? Now, they're going to lose some patents in 2012 that we thought they were going to lose in 2015. So losing these patents are going to hurt them ever so slightly to the point that competition could come in, to the point that I'm not going to pay a premium for the stock anymore. So... Sometimes the story changes, and you have to pay very, very close attention to this. So slowing growth metrics that are company, um, the K-Cup patents expire in 2012. Failure to obtain new patents could result in peak earnings being reached earlier than anticipated. The firm um, Stifle Nicholas, Stifle Nicholas also said um, increased competition from Starbucks via. Via is one of those uh, instant coffees that Starbucks is now starting to push. Um, so... I'd just be careful with it. I'd be incredibly careful in it. I understand that there's probably the best days are behind that stock. It's broken a little bit. Doesn't mean it won't go from hypergrowth to growth, but it's definitely done with hypergrowth for now. You're listening to the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. Coming up, headline news. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.